Good morning. I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. I know I did. In this Advent uh, season, we take the time to celebrate the fulfillment of a very, very long-held expectation of a Messiah. There's an insert in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along in the message today. If you didn't get one or like one, our ushers would be happy to hand you one, just to let them know you need one. Or if you'd like to borrow a Bible and look on them, they have those as well. The people of Israel were waiting a very long time for a Messiah to come. And we come to the New Testament, Simeon is a good example we see there of someone who was waiting a long time for Messiah's arrival. In Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 25, says that there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, Then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon had been waiting all his life for this moment. And when he saw Jesus, he celebrated that his hope had been fulfilled. But this begs the question, and the topic really for today's message, why were the people waiting for a Messiah? Where did they get the idea to expect one? The main reason the Jewish people were expecting a Messiah is because God promised to send them one. The first promise was given after Adam and Eve had sinned in the garden and plunged the human race into sin, death, and separation from our God. Genesis 3.15, the Lord said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. God had promised that a descendant of Eve, the woman, would defeat the serpent and undo the curse that we were under. Just to note that the personal pronoun he is emphatic in this particular passage. He shall bruise you on the head, a fatal blow in other words, and you shall bruise him on the heel. From that point on, from Genesis 3, All the way through the Old Testament record, the promises of a coming Messiah continued through the rest of the Old Testament. Go to Abraham in Genesis 22, verse 18. God says to him, in your seed, or descendant, singular, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. Then to Moses in Deuteronomy 18.15, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from among your countrymen, and you shall listen to him. Then we come to David 
King David in 2 Samuel 7, 11 to 13, the Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Someone's coming. An individual fact, when you look at, carefully at those passages, it's singular, a descendant, a child, a son. When we come to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul tells us that the details of Messiah's coming was a mystery kept hidden for ages. For instance, in, he says in Romans 16, verse 25, now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel in the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested. So as we go through biblical history, from Genesis through the Old Testament, God continued to disclose little bits of information and revelation about the promised Messiah. And it heightened everyone's expectations the more they heard about this individual coming. When we come to the book of Isaiah, who was prophesying about 700 years before Jesus was born, the information he gives broadens and deepens concerning the mystery of Messiah. <laughs> Reading it carefully, you come away with, he's saying contradictory things about this individual. He's going to reign as king, but, but he's going to suffer and die. They couldn't put this together. And we'll be talking about that as we continue our series in Isaiah. It's a fascinating, fascinating study. In fact, Isaiah the prophet gives us more information about the promised Messiah than any other prophet. We actually learn more about Messiah from what Isaiah says than we do even in the Gospels about the person he is. And we'll be talking about that in the coming weeks. That's why since we've been studying the book of Isaiah, I decided this year to focus on Christmas in Isaiah for the Advent Sermon Series this year. You could call it the expectation of my Messiah from Isaiah. In addition to repeating the expectations of Messiah we find earlier, Isaiah is going to show us some detailed information that until Isaiah came along had not been revealed before. We'll be looking at those. But to start with, Isaiah repeats some long-held expectations about a Messiah that, who is coming. For instance, in Isaiah 59, verse 20, he says, a redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, declares the Lord. Isaiah chapter 19, verses 19 and 20. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord near its border. It will become a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt, for they will cry to the Lord because of oppressors, and he will send them a savior, a champion, and he will deliver them. Or Isaiah 42, 1. 
Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, which, by the way, is the word Messiah. My chosen one in whom my soul delights, I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. In fact, you could make a, point, a good point that the whole prophecy of Isaiah is about the coming Messiah. It really is. It's filled with descriptions and promises and details of what he will do, why he will do it. Isaiah obviously echoes the details that had already been revealed. We, we know from other places, and Isaiah just echoes it, that the Messiah will be born, come from the, the tribe of Judah in Israel. Out of the 12 tribes, it's Judah. They can start anticipating uh, the genealogy that way. And he will also be from the family of David in Judah. So the details keep coming through biblical history, uh, honing it down until finally when Jesus pops on the scene, if you carefully look at the prophecies, <laughs> he fulfills it. He's it. Isaiah 11.1, 1, Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Uh, read this morning earlier. But as I said before, Isaiah gives us new information about the coming Messiah that we'll explore in the coming weeks through our Advent season. <clears throat> Things unexpected, not, uh, not given before. Contradictory things, as I mentioned. And people will have a hard time putting this together. We'll talk about that. They didn't know how to do it. Uh, he will be born miraculously. He'll have a, some connection to this place called Galilee. Isaiah goes on to talk about he'll have two natures being as man and as God. Uh, he will have a teaching and healing ministry. He will die as a sacrifice for sin, but he'll live again. His redemptive work will benefit both Jews and Gentiles. I'm telling you, this is all brand new to Israel's ears, these kind of things. Uh, he will reign as king over, the all, over all the whole earth. They knew he would reign on David's throne. They didn't realize. The whole earth? Yeah. Tribute will be given to this one from the Gentile nations. They'll bring to him gold, myrrh. Isaiah talks about this. He will eventually create a new heavens and a new earth. Isaiah tells us this. And much, much more. When Jesus was born, God was fulfilling an age-old promise to send a Savior, a Messiah, an anointed one. What does this mean for us? You know, Chris, Christmas can become pretty much old hat, like any other, you know, event. Get used to it, get your tree up, decorations, presents bought, we're good. Same old, same old. Yeah, Jesus, little baby, born. Yeah, got it. Check. 
on to the next holiday, New Year's, right around the corner, put the hats on, and we just kind of buzz right <laughs> don't we? What does this mean for us? This fulfillment of a long-held expectation of a champion, a savior, a redeemer. We'll be talking about that in the coming weeks. It's extremely important to take some of this deep into our hearts because it's meant to be transformative, actually. First thing I think we could do is celebrate his arrival. The promise was fulfilled. Uh, the details of the prophetic proclamations describing who Messiah will be have been fulfilled in complete detail so far. There's more to come, but up to this point, through his birth, life, death, and resurrection, and ascension, he fits it. He's it. We can celebrate his arrival, and that's what we do on Sunday mornings. We celebrate him. We worship him. Second thing we could do is, is be thankful, which we just celebrate a time of thanksgiving. Do you realize, if you are a believer in Jesus, that we, we are actually today in a, in a long-sought, sought-after, coveted position in history? And we tend to take it for granted. The prophets of old long to know what we know. It was a mystery to them. How do, how do you put the descriptions together? How does this all happen in one person, one individual? How does this, who is this? We're in an extremely coveted position in history and can be thankful we're on this side. <laughs> We've got the information. We've got details of fulfillments. The prophets long to know what we know, that Messiah has come and that we know who he is. For instance, Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1, 10 to 12, talking about our salvation in Jesus. He says, as to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. Of course, they didn't have Google or anything, but they made careful searches and inquiries seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. They couldn't really put it together. And it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, us, in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. It's kept hidden. But now, you and I have the information of God, the salvation God offers to the world by believing in his son, Jesus the Messiah. As the Apostle Paul said, the mystery was kept hidden, the mystery that was kept hidden for ages has now been revealed to us. 
Colossians, he says in Colossians 1, 26 and 27, that is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but now has been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, you and I, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do you realize what this means? Do you realize the responsibility we have been given to know this information? To our Gentile friends out there, especially. It's for them. That revelation has been handed to us. The details of who the Messiah is, who the champion, the savior, the redeemer of the world is, and how we receive his salvation by faith in him. It's been handed to you. So we can, we can celebrate the fulfillment of God's promise. I mean, we're talking hundreds of singular promises in the Old Testament that were fulfilled just like that in detail at his coming. Celebrate it. God keeps his promise. They had to wait a long, long time. In faith, they had to wait. The second thing is to be thankful. We're on the other side of a long-held mystery. We can be thankful. We know. We know him. But also the responsibility given to everyone who possesses that knowledge. Give it to somebody else. The Savior of the world has come offering his salvation to everyone who believes in him. Eternal life. The third thing uh, we can do is we can enjoy the benefits of his arrival, individually, personally. The end of the ages has come upon us. The Son of Man has come. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he gives eternal life to everyone who believes in him as a gift. Apostle John says in his first letter, chapter 5, 11 to 13, this, by the way, is the, is the passage that God used in my life 46 years ago to open my eyes to the truth of who Jesus is. And then he offers me eternal life. I just have to receive him. Here's what it says. This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. Let me stop right there. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to deserve it. He's given it to us, you see. And he's testifying that this is the truth, that God's given us eternal life. And you know where that life is? It's in his Son. He who has the Son has life, has the life, eternal life. He who does not have the Son does not have the life, eternal life. Do you have the Son? 
These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know you have eternal life. To enjoy the benefits of his coming, the first thing to do is believe in him. Believe in Jesus for the gift of eternal life. That's why he came. He took care of everything else. That's why he came. Every barrier between us and the living God, he died for it. So he could give us what we never deserved or could ever earn in eternity with God restored. <clears throat> believe in Jesus. Now, if you have believed in Jesus, <laughs> probably most of us in this room, I say, perhaps have. Uh, you can enjoy the benefits of his coming by continuing to abide in him. If you have the Son, continue to abide in him personally, intimately, as Jesus instructed his disciples to do through keeping his word and drawing near in prayer. He is a very real present in the life of every single believer. Very real presence. Jesus said it in John chapter 15, verses 5 to 10. I'm the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you abide in me, in my words... Abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it'll be done for you. In other words, abide in my word and in prayer. That's how you continue. Just as the Father has loved me, I've loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my Father's command, if you keep my commandments, you abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus, the Messiah, the champion, the Savior, the Redeemer of the world, is God's answer to the brokenness we all have and the brokenness in the world. As we shall see in Isaiah, that's why God sent him. Father, thank you today for the coming of Messiah. Would you help us, Lord, not to treated as a light thing, something we do every year, routine. Would you enliven us to the truths of your coming, of your birth, and life among us, to let those truths sink deep into our hearts and have a transformative effect in how we live our lives to this day. And Perhaps it's just we celebrate the fulfillment of what you promised for ages. Or we're thankful that you've included us at the end of the ages, the, the promises that have long been held secret and mysterious, we now know, and given us a tremendous gift, not just the information, but your very presence in us as we believed in Jesus. And would you help us 
to continue to abide in him whom you sent to save us from sin, to heal us in our wounds, put together that which was broken, bind up the brokenhearted and the wounded. Would you help us to experience the transformative effects of knowing him whom you sent to be the savior of the world? I ask this in his name, Jesus. Amen.